I'm Melanie and I work in research and advocacy for women and girls that have experienced domestic abuse. I'm Maria. I work for the Intersectional Feminist Society at King's College London. Before starting, I would like to mention some trigger warnings that may include domestic abuse, gender-based violence and female genital mutilation. Moreover, we will be referring to FGM as a performance, not a practice, as referring to it as a practice makes it sound as if it's a medical procedure or something necessary. So female genital mutilation is a form of violence against women and girls that affects about 200 million girls um, worldwide. Um, throughout this podcast series, we're going to be exploring how women can be agents for change within their communities to end FGM. Um, and to do this in the first podcast, we will go through what FGM is in a broader sense. And then we will go into a series of interviews with different charities and FGM survivors. Um, this one is just going to be a broad overview of FGM. So if you feel like you already know quite a lot about the topic, you may not need to go into this podcast. Um, but we're just going to explore the, explore the key themes just so that everyone has a good understanding of it. So um, I'm just going to go through a bit of background about where FGM originated from. So it's existed for 2,000 years um, and has been performed on girls from birth up to just before marriage and sometimes beyond. Um, it really varies between country and region. Um, but it is commonly performed before the age of 15. Um, so there are varying views on where it originated from. Um, some argue it originated in Egypt in 5th century BC. Some say it was performed among um, equatorial African herders as a protection against rape. Um, and others argue it was a custom among Stoge Age people in equatorial Africa and others as an outgrowth of human sacrificial practices um, or as an early attempt of population control. So we're kind of not really sure where it originated, but these are some of the main arguments that um, are given at the moment. Understanding the forces underpinning female genital mutilation is a necessary first step to prevent the continuation of a performance that is associated with health complications and human rights violations. FGM is also known as female circumcision or cutting and by other terms locally. In Western discourses, we tend to focus on the medical implications of FGM, whereas it has a deep historical cultural relevance for the communities that perform it that needs to be understood in order to eradicate it. It is a complex performance with a many cultural, communal and individual underpinnings. The international discourse around FGM is profoundly complex and polemical as it lies in the intersection of various disciplines, from medicine to anthropology and politics, as well as within an intricate and multicultural web of beliefs, biases and perceptions. It is important to remember that it is not practiced in the same way in every community or for the same reasons. It also has, according to the World Health Organization definitions, four types of FGM. The first type is also known as clitoridectomy. So this involves the partial or total removal of the external clitoris and um, prepus. Um, type two. Um, is also known as excision. So this also includes the partial total removal um, of the external clitoris, um, but can also, also include the labia 
minora as well, um, with or without excision of the labia majora. Um, type three is also known as infibulation. So this involves narrowing of the vaginal orifice with the creation of a covering seal by cutting um, and a positioning of the labia minora and or the labia majora with or without excision of the clitoris. Um, type four is any other harmful performance. So this could be pricking, um, burning, um, piercing, scraping um, around like the vaginal area. So it, yeah, it kind of encompasses any other harmful practice. Um, so yeah, it's like Maria said, it's really important um, to understand that FGM is not performed in the same way in every community. And it this can really affect how we um, inform our community-based projects. So we really need to kind of understand that more. So that's what we're going to go into. We will be discussing how women having agency can lead to change through a variety of ways, including effective community-based initiatives led by women themselves. It's really important to understand that FGM is performed um, in very different ways in every community. And this can really affect community-based projects. Um, so it's essential that we understand that in more detail. So that's what we're going to go into. And um, also just cover some of the health um, implications that it can have. Yeah, so FGM can have serious implications for the sexual and reproductive health of girls and women. Immediate complications can include severe pain, shock, hemorrhage, uh, tetanus or infection, urine retention, ulceration, fever and injury to adjacent tissue. Wound infection, urinary infection that can lead to septicemus, which is the body's most extreme response to an infection. Women can also experience hemorrhage, which is the which refers to blood uh, loss inside or outside the body. So there are also lots of long-term consequences of FGM. Um, this can include complications during childbirth, anemia, which is um, lack of iron within the bloodstream, um, the formation of cysts and abscesses, um, scar formation, damage to the urethra, which can result in urinary incontinence, um, painful sexual intercourse, sexual dysfunction, hypersensitivity of the genital area, um, as well as increased risk of HIV um, transmission. Infibulation or type 3 can also cause vaginal obstruction, resulting in the accumulation of menstrual flow in the vagina um, and uterus. FGM also may have lasting effects on women and girls who undergo the performance. Not only does it condition the physical health of survivors, but it impacts their mental health as well. The psychological stress of the procedure may trigger behavioral changes in children closely linked to loss of trust and confidence in caregivers. In the longer term, women may suffer feelings of anxiety, depression or PTSD. Sexual dysfunction may also contribute to marital conflicts or divorce. Every cultural practice has a purpose within the each particular community, which is why activities for the elimination of FGM should be developed and implemented in a way that is sensitive to the cultural and social background of the communities that perform it. We can't disregard the social implications this performance has, which includes social acceptance and marriage requirements that could lead to economic stability, amongst other implications. Understanding this means that community-based projects can be most effective. Mm -hmm.
So FGM mostly occurs within the 28 African countries with varying national prevalences, including Burkina Faso with a prevalence around 76%, Somalia with a prevalence around 99%, the Chad with a prevalence of around 38%. So some parts of Asia, including Indonesia, also have high prevalences of FGM. So, for example, um, Indonesia, it's been reported that 71% of women have undergone FGM. Um, There's been a further report that found also nearly half of girls um, under the age of 11 have undergone FGM in Indonesia as well. Um, It also takes place across um, diaspora communities within Europe and North America, Um, but this has been kind of less studied. So there needs to be further research done in these areas. However, 28 Too Many has released reports recently around kind of FGM within Europe. So from these, we know that there's been an estimated um, 608,000 to 628,000 girls and women residing in the 32 European countries uh, that have been affected by FGM. And the majority of these women and girls reside um, within the United Kingdom, France, Italy, Spain, Germany, Netherlands and Sweden. The majority of girls and women who have undergone FGM or are at risk of it originate from FGM practicing countries in Africa. Awareness of FGM in Europe has grown enormously in recent years, thanks to the efforts of many organizations and advertising campaigns, such as the award-winning It Happens Here campaign. The End FGM European Network is a portal for FGM-related matters in the European Union. So I'm just going to go into a little bit about the different reasons as to why FGM occurs. So there are many different reasons given for FGM both within and between countries and we can understand a lot about FGM by looking at who it predominantly affects. So in Nigeria, for example, a higher percentage of women between the ages of 15 and 49 underwent FGM in urban areas compared to rural areas. Therefore, for this age bracket, it was actually more common to find FGM being performed within urban areas than rural, which goes against common preconceived ideas about FGM. However, we can see that this pattern is changing as around 20% of daughters aged 0 to 14 living in urban areas have experienced FGM compared to 28% of those in rural areas. So this shows us how where FGM is most likely to occur is dynamic, changing where community-based projects would be the most effective. A similar situation can be seen in relation to economic status. For example, just over 20% of women in Nigeria ages 15 to 49 in the highest wealth quintile have undergone FGM, compared to around 10% in the lowest quintile. Conversely, around 14% of girls aged 0 to 14 and born to mothers in the wealthiest quintile have undergone FGM, compared with 43% in the lowest quintile. Therefore, this is again showing variation between ages and how although the performance can look one way for women aged 15 to 49, it's constantly changing over time. And so when looking at younger ages, we see a very different story from those that are in older age brackets. We also know that FGM prevalence within Nigeria is highest among women that practice traditionalist religions. 
and lowest amongst Muslim women. Also, Nigerian women between ages of 15 to 49 with no education are actually the least likely to have undergone FGM, which is different from the usual expectation that the higher the level of education, the lower the likelihood of FGM. So again, this demonstrates to us that we cannot make presumptions about FGM within a country or community, as although something may occur in the majority of cases, this is not seen across the board and it can vary largely between age groups, even within the same country. This shows us the impact of misunderstandings when it comes to discussing FGM. In contrast to Nigeria, in Somalia and Somaliland, women who live in rural areas are slightly more likely to undergo FGM than those in urban areas. Women of higher education levels are less likely to have their daughters cut at almost three-fourths of women between the ages of 15 to 49, believe it is a requirement of their religion. This starts to give us an idea about the level of complexity here as to why, when and who FGM affects, as it cannot be assumed to be the same, not only between countries, but also within the same country. This has major implications for ensuring effective community-based projects, as we need to ensure they are being delivered in a subjective way, with an in-depth understanding of who is being affected and why between regions. So now we've looked at kind of where FGM um, occurs and who it's affecting. I just want to go through some of the different reasons, as I mentioned, for FGM. So like I said, it varies greatly both within and between countries. And some reasons given include family expectations or maintaining honor, the preservation of virginity or chastity, social acceptance, cleanliness and hygiene, or religious values. However, FGM has existed for over 2,000 years, which predates both Christianity and Islam, and is not required by any religion. FGM is not mentioned in the Bible, Torah, or the Quran. Despite the fact that both Christian and Islamic scholars have taken a stand against FGM, producing statements that it is not a requirement of either faith, within the community there are lots of people that still believe it to be a religious requirement. Although the given reasons for FGM vary greatly between country and regions, one of the main reasons FGM continues is because it is a social norm or a socially upheld behavioral rule, meaning that it is either believed that everyone performs it or most carry out the performance. This means that it can be difficult for individuals within a community to know what others think about it and when to stand out publicly against it. Therefore, one core reason FGM continues is because those that want to stop the performance can face severe social sanctions for deviating from the norm. As a result, FGM will only stop to continue within a community if enough families are convinced that the community is ready to abandon it. Therefore, one of the key challenges for change is because this must be endorsed by an entire community and so there must be a core group of individuals that set this motion of change. Part of the current legal approaches include national laws banning FGM in 22 out of 28 practicing African countries. Yet, there are serious challenges to implementation and enforcement of those laws. The illegalization of FGM has proved to not be enough in the eradication of FGM, which highlights the cultural challenges and conflicts of interest, where the performance is still supported for many different reasons, including tradition or social acceptance. 
Another main way to end FGM is through the creation of effective community-based projects run by individuals within their own communities. We will be exploring throughout this podcast series some of the best ways these can be set up and run by women within their own communities to act as agents for change. However, we will cover a couple of well-known community-based projects briefly here and then explore their effectiveness throughout our conversations with FGM survivors. One of these community-based projects is called the Grandmother Project. Within some communities, grandmothers have a core role in the teaching and care of younger women and children. FGM is also commonly performed by elders within the community. Therefore, the approach of this project focuses on actively including grandmothers and using educational resources to strengthen the capacity for them to support positive change in their community. Another community-based project is known as Alternative Rites of Passage. In some communities, one of the main reasons FGM is performed is as a coming-of-age ceremony. Some communities are now finding new ways of continuing this tradition without harming the bodies of women. This acts to protect women against FGM whilst preserving cultural narratives. However, there are some arguments about how effective alternative rites of passage can be and how we can make them more effective. We will be exploring this in more detail throughout our following podcasts. Thank you very much for listening. If you would like to hear talks from further speakers, um, please donate. If you want to donate, there will be a link below and in our bio. So please feel free to give us any donations so we can make uh, this whole series podcast uh, project come to fruition. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>